This is part two of the deconstruction episode. If you didn't hear part one, jump back for a listen about the feels of deconstruction for leaders. If you've already done so, onward and upward. I'm Justin Boyer, along with Tim Deering and DJ Martin, and you're listening to The Quiet Reformation. So I don't think any of us would say we are deconstruction experts by any means, and we're continuing to to learn how to love people, how to be emotionally healthy in ourselves, to be able to process our own pain, but also to walk with others. But let's turn turn it towards that a little bit. So DJ, what have you found or what are you learning that you think is important for pastors to consider when they're shepherding people in the midst of the renovation of faith, in the midst of doubt, in the midst of deconstruction? So one one of the things I've learned is not to try to walk through these types of situations alone, but to try to get a community involved. There's so many things that, you know, Tim, you could speak to way better than I could, or Justin, like, just think of different things that you can speak to way more eloquently, or or maybe you're more gifted than I am in a certain realm. And so when it comes to pastoring through any kind of difficult situation, whether it's a, grie- a grief situation, a death situation, a divorce situation, I-, I think one of the lessons we have to learn is, as shepherds and pastors is, is to send people to the help that's going to be most helpful and not think that like I'm the answer for this. Um, and, and so that's related to the thing I always come back to in this conversation, which is like, humility like it is the only place to work out of yeah um in in a healthy way and so So um you know when someone's coming to me whether it's a family member or a friend or a parishioner someone in in the church who's struggling with questions one of the things i'm learning to do is to try immediately to get as many people involved in the conversation as as is helpful and so that it's not just on my shoulders to, to help solve the problem, but like, oh, you should talk to, you know, this person about it. They've, they've gone through that. They've wrestled with that. You should go to this elder about that or whatever. And just trying to get a community involved is really helpful. Uh, another thing I'm learning in this is, uh, this is an idea I got from uh, AJ Swoboda, who has a lot of really helpful material on pastoring through deconstruction. And he talks about the idea of being really explicit about the consent that the person is giving you. When someone comes to you as a pastor and shares that they're struggling with their faith, they're revealing something that has internally been going on for a long, long time. It's not like they woke up yesterday and they're like, oh, I think I'm questioning the authority of God's word. And I'm going to go talk to my pastor about it. Like in, in 90 five to nine, I don't know, I'm making up statistics here, but in the vast majority of situations, like the person's been wrestling probably just quietly internally, or maybe with their spouse or one, one other person before they come. And so there's a whole world underneath that issue that they bring. And then the idea of consent being, and I've started to do this, like when someone shares, what, what role can I play? Are, are you just wanting to tell me this? because you want to tell me, are you wanting me to enter into the conversation with you? Are you actually looking for what I think? Um, And just being that explicit about it. 
because it could be any one of those things. Maybe they just want to tell me and they want to hit the road or, or maybe they're actually looking for a conversation. But until I take it to that level of like reaching conversational and relational consent, then I can't actually know what's going to be the most helpful way to go. Yeah, that's so interesting that you put it that way, because what came to my mind was something very similar, but completely different language. <laughs> I was thinking about how there is a, a need to walk in wisdom about what what frequency of the Lord's voice needs to be heard in this place or this conversation. And I'm thinking about this philosophically in a paradigm. I'm thinking about how in, in these kinds of conversations, there's multiple things going on. Do I need to provide a pastoral voice here? Meaning, do I need to sit with this person and listen and to walk with them through the valley of the shadow of deconstruction and just be there with them, um, still guiding them, you know, but more so just like uh, more indirect presence? Do I need, does the person need a more prophetic voice at times where there is just something that is being said to them, you're not actually deconstruction, deconstructing because of your faith. You're deconstructing because you want to sleep around with your secretary. Where does the prophetic voice? And then also I think the priestly frequency, the priestly voice as far as how do we hold this in community? So I think to, to your point, DJ, there is this humility that is needed and that I almost universally cannot be all things to all men in the way that we think of that. <laughs> you know what I mean? What can I bring and how can I, in my priestly ministry, bring a community around that person? How can I set up things that the community is talking about some of these things ahead of time so that the person is not isolated and there's actually a pathway or an opportunity there for them to voice this that where they don't feel like it needs to be a secret? or something shameful that they're necessarily wrestling with. But then also, when do I need to ask uh, Tim or DJ to come and be like, I don't know how to speak to this person. You have good relationship with them. And maybe you bring a more distinct, uh, I'm just using the term prophetic word, that's like speaking right to, to the heart of things. And I think all of those are needed because if any of those is in the wrong context of what the person needs, I actually get angered at it from us trying to care for people. I get I get this weird defensiveness of people that are deconstructing or deconverting. Like I almost want to guard them because I'm afraid of what the church might do <laughs> as far as with that. And yet it's God's grace through the different parts of the church that they that they probably need to have a fuller understanding and to still feel loved and to try to hear through the the chaos or the confusion that they're in. What is the frequency? What kind of voice is needed for this person? And how can community be brought into it? Man, you guys are awesome. These are really good points. All these are so good. And I've learned a lot from you guys already in this stuff, just watching both of you pastor in these situations. And I think you've done a great job. In fact, in the world of deconstruction, um, of uh, probably of all the pastors I know of who have had to walk with people as they've deconstructed, uh, deconverted, all of that, you, you guys have had to do this so much in so many different circles. And I think you're, you've really embodied the things that you're talking about. And I just, uh, firstly, want to affirm a couple of those points. I, I think that the clarification of invitation that you named DJ, uh, is also something that I believe is really important, not only 
um, to honor a person's individual desire and will and let that person make their own choice, but also to make sure we're on the same page about what we're where we're going, right? <laughs> Clarification of purpose. And, and for me, that's also an opportunity for me to choose whether or not this is something that I actually feel like I want to do or that God has called me to do, because it might be that they want something from me that I'm like, I really don't have any interest in that. And I don't think it can be helpful. I just want to jump in there for me. And for some people that can be so hard to say no to that. Yeah. You know, because it's like almost like at a crisis point. And I think that goes back to DJ's humility as far as like, do, do I have the capacity and the calling to do this? Or is my part in it to be able to redirect that for the ultimate benefit of the person that is going through the doubt. But that can be so hard to be like, oh, this is so important and they're coming to me. I'm, I, I, I must be the one <laughs> that has to, to, to enter into this. But I'm just saying that's not always true. That's not always true. Yeah. In fact, there's two places it could go, at least two places. One is that it could be that they need to be with another person. And for me, currently not being in local church pastoring, you know, there's moments where I'm coming alongside a pastor, helping to provide theological mentoring in a situation where they're like, uh, this isn't really my gift. This isn't really what I'm, I need to pastor the body in this. Th these are theological deep dives that can you come alongside and help us? And I'll, I'll invest in that way. But on, on another level, I'm also like, uh, then I'm not pastoring that person in the ways that they personally need to be pastored. And so if they need a listening ear and someone who's just kind of going to walk with them in a much more intimate way for me, that's like, okay, I'm not the person. And so knowing our lanes within the body, what are, what we're gifted at, what we're good at that you guys have both mentioned that. And I think that's really important. And that's one piece of this. The other piece is the thing that Justin, you mentioned about why is this person in the process of deconstructing is it worth investing into because they might not actually be uh, honestly seeking. They might not be asking the question that they're actually asking. And unless they're willing to be honest about that, then we don't really have much to work with. And that happens in the deconstruction world, but that happens in everything, right? Which is why we see Jesus constantly responding to questions with questions, because he's trying to get to the deeper question that the person actually should be asking or is asking. And I think that one of those is to nuance, what are you actually seeking or are you doubting because you're choosing to doubt or are you seeking something in the midst of doubt? You know, you're struggling with a concept, you're struggling with experiences, you're struggling with all of that, and then you're reaching for truth or is this obvious that this is a smokescreen, you know, it's a red herring. And in that case, I, I don't know if there's people who desperately need other voices and other relationships and everything. And we have to be careful to not let ourselves be caught up in those moments. And I think that's an important piece of this thing, because as pastors, we can spend a whole lot of time that we shouldn't spend in situations that can can really steal from those who who honestly need more. My name is Brenna Henricks. I'm the arts director and a worship leader at Providence Church in Westchester, PA. And over the past couple of years, Netzer has walked with me through a lot of really difficult questions I've been wrestling with theologically in my faith and differences that is stirred up between myself and the leadership at the church where I serve. 
It's because of Netzer's one-on-one counseling and mentorship and discipleship that what was originally stirring doubt and confusion and skepticism in my heart has actually led to such a deeper understanding of the gospel and of covenant and love for Jesus and his church and a desire to be a part of leading his church. And at the same time, Netzer has actually walked alongside my husband through a similar season and helped us together while we were dating grow in our faith as a couple, not just on a personal level and setting a rich foundation for our marriage, but also as we lead in ministry together, restoring and building deeper unity with our church body. It's because of Netzer that I have more hope than ever for what it means to be a wife and to be a part of the church in this world and to be a sold-out follower of Jesus Christ. There's a few things for myself that I think are really important in my own mind have become really important that have to do largely with trying to understand the deeper questions that are being asked here. Assuming that a person is saying, I want to process this with you. And the reason I'm coming to you is because I'm actually looking to figure this out. The the three main things that people seem to be dealing with in general in our in our culture right now when it comes to deconstruction, kind of like the entry points of those things have to do with the authority of scripture. That's a a really big issue. Atonement and uh, like, what is the atonement? This whole thing of God killing his son in in order for, uh, for him to feel okay about our sins and people dealing with that mindset. And then gender and sexuality and some other cultural issues too. But those seem to be the three primary categories that, that people are enter into deconstruction from, and then opens the door to asking all the other questions. For me, I think that there's some things that are really important to consider. One is that the scriptures, when we're talking about the authority of scriptures, they were never meant to be an independent group of writings that individuals accessed in order to have it be their personal holy scripture in order to get to God. These things were designed, written, birthed from, and made for a covenant community of people called the church. And when you take the scriptures as sacred writings outside of the context of the church and just make it individualized reading of this scripture, as personal spirituality and coaching for my personal spirituality, it stops making sense and it loses the big historical story in which it fits. And all the questions of Western society that we tend to ask are rooted almost always in radical individualism and the pursuit of happiness from an individualistic frame of mind and in enlightenment thinking, rational enlightenment thinking from an individualistic frame. And then I'm entering into the scriptures, reading that in and expecting the scriptures to make sense of that instead of the scriptures being a storyline that's narrating a group of people who are pursuing God throughout history. And so I think you can't deal with theology and doctrine rooted in the scriptures without also thinking in terms of church history, without also thinking in terms of 
what is God's great design for the people of God and how do the scriptures fit into that? This is in no, by no means taking away from the authority of scripture. It's just saying that what we want the scriptures to be is not always what the scriptures are. And some of the ways that we approach and accuse the scriptures of not giving me what I want at times are because it's not actually what the scriptures are. And so I think that's, that's one piece that I think is a really important kind of broader picture. When it comes to the authority of scriptures, I also think that right now, most of the time when I walk with people through theological deconstruction, once we get down to it, when they're questioning the authority of scriptures, usually they're not questioning the authority of scriptures, they're questioning authority. And it might be personal authority, or it might just be the idea of authority. How did we get here where all of a sudden there's people theologically deconstructing all over the place, right? Doubt has always been a thing. Theological questions have always been a thing. But right now we're like, what just happened? And when you look at the cultural storyline of what's happened around authority and institutions in, in our culture, scripture's been a huge underlying foundation for, for many of those institutions, many of those structures. But when we've lost the ability to trust authority in general, and we're questioning authority in general, then it's easy to say, well, scriptures is an authority. So we're questioning that as well. And I think that's something that pastors need to know that again, what people are asking, I'm actually asking a deeper question, helping them see what is that deeper question can be really important. Yeah, I, I think that's so helpful. I, I'm reflecting on what both you guys uh, added to this question and uh, particularly, Tim, the, the point around authority and just how everything in our modern culture right now in this moment, this cultural moment we're in is just throwing the baby out with the bathwater when it comes to authority, expertise, anything, anything like that. And I've seen that infiltrate this conversation in so many different ways. After Easter, we did a series of Cornerstone, just a, a couple sermons about those who doubt how like after the resurrection, after the disciples saw Jesus risen from the grave, there's like this line in, in Matthew, I think, I think it's before the Great Commission, in fact, they, they worshiped him, but some doubted. They worshiped him, but some doubted, and he still commissions them to go and tell the story throughout all of the, all of the world with the authority that he has. Now, to, to your point, Tim, and to DJ about authority, there is this thing that I, I think the body of Christ as lay ministers might have more authority right now because of the culture to speak into some of this deconstruction stuff with their friends and family if they would just know that they have the authority. Because there's some authority that's being questioned that, well, DJ, of course you're going to say that because you get paid by the church, even if that's completely not true. You know what I mean? Meaning like it motivationally. Same thing with Tim, same thing with me. And I think in thinking about the community, the, the broader community of the local congregation needs to know what kind of authority they have in order to walk and to love and to listen and to, to be with people that are deconstructing and that are going through doubt. I think that's really important. And I think that part of the way that pastoral ministry is essential in, in this conversation is not just for the one who's deconstructing, but how we're equipping those in the church to be able to walk in this culture. Right. And 
this is one of those places where if it's a red herring on deconstruction, if it's a smokescreen, I don't want to chase after that because what I really want to be spending my time and energy with is investing into people who are hungry for God so that in all the places of influence where they are, people who are seeking, they can help those people who are seeking. The scriptures are made to be embodied in a community of people. Again, these scriptures, we can say, I don't know if I believe in the authority of scriptures, but we can make the scriptures say whatever we want. So who cares if we believe in the authority of scriptures or not to one degree, if we're going to make the scriptures say whatever we want anyway? You know what I mean? Like Satan uses the scriptures against us. We actually have to have not only the scriptures, but we have to have a covenant community of people gathered around the scriptures who are submitted and yielded to the authority of scriptures and who are one another seeking it. And when that starts to pull apart and we start to lose that, then we're, we don't want to fight just for the authority of scripture. We don't want to work hard to just defend creeds and doctrines. What does God actually want? He wants a covenant people who love him and love one another and love the world around them. And everything is working from God in the gospel toward that. Everything that's working to pull that apart is working at tearing down the storyline in the scriptures that reveals a God and a gospel that pull us back to God and back to one another. And the embodiment of that is found not just in individuals, but it's found in community. And that's why the pastoring of the church becomes really important at showing people a life lived in the scripture. And that's where the integrity and the authority is. It's not just in the orthodoxy of our doctrine, but it's in the orthopraxy of the church. We're calling the church to embody the things that we're, that we're calling people to believe in intellectually as well. Yeah, thanks so much to both of you being part of this roundtable. It was good to hear from you guys' closing thoughts of, of hope or encouragement that you would have towards pastors, leaders, towards those that might even be uh, wrestling with doubt themselves. Yeah, I just want to echo that I'm super grateful for this conversation and even more than that, uh, grateful for friendship with you guys. That's why I'm here. <laughs> I think uh, still pastoring, still holding on uh, is because of friendships like this. So thank you guys. Yeah, word of hope, I think an encouragement for pastors that I'd like to speak is uh, the line, uh, just a simple line, this is not the end. Uh, this is not the end. And that, that's a line from, uh, whether this is ironic or not, from uh, Michael and Lisa Gunger, who themselves have uh, deconstructed, which was actually painful for me. <laughs> uh, this this singer-songwriter, uh, husband and wife that at one point, you know, loved Jesus and confessed uh, faith and then have deconstructed. But they have this song called This Is Not The End. And that's become my deconstruction song. And so right outside of the little... Uh, circle that Tim and I live in, there's a big hill. And whenever I go on a run, <laughs> I have to finish with this hill. And it's such a pain in the butt because you're out on a long run, it's hot. And then you're ending the run with this big hill. And I call it my hill of deconstruction because every single time I run it and I run it over and over and over again throughout the course of the year, every time I run it, I'm praying for someone who's going through or has gone through deconstruction. And every time I'm praying for whether it's a, a a friend or a family member or parishioner, that song is playing in my head that this is not the end. And so just be encouraged, like pastors, shepherds, leaders, that like wherever a person is at today is not the end of the story. <laughs> and God is the one who's telling that story. 
and their salvation and their intimacy with the Lord and all of that, like you are not the Holy Spirit. I am not the Holy Spirit. There's one living spirit and he blows and he moves and he works and he still loves and aches for these people that you love and ache for with a passion that you and I can hardly even fathom. And so this is just a word of encouragement it's not the end. It's not the end of the story. And so whenever you're praying, I would just encourage you to come back to that point of like, instead of being fatalistic and defeatist about these relationships, be hopeful that, you know, love hopes all things. It endures all things. It's patient. It's, um, it's like Christ on the cross. And, and when he's on the cross, enduring the crucifixion, it was the joy set before him, the joy of you and I being in relationship with him, uh, that he was able to endure that in the same way, whatever small things were called to endure um, in Christ, it's not the end. And he's got a story he's telling, and it's a really, really good story. And we get to, we get to be a part of it uh, as hard as this chapter might be. It's a beautiful, amazing story. Man, that's awesome, DJ. Thanks so much for, for saying that. I just, I really appreciate the way you ended with the story as well, I'm, I'm reminded N.T. Wright says that in apologetics these days, that there's a new apologetic in our world. It's real simple. The best story wins. Whoever can tell the story that makes the most sense encompasses all of what's going on, the, the great story of the cosmos, then that's the story that wins uh, for people. Modern apologetics the empirical data that kind of uh, uh, gives us a sense of what's actually true or not through logic. It's like, that can be what it is, but for most people, what's going to win as far as their epistemology is what's the story that makes, that, that encompasses everything and makes the most sense of everything. People live in story and live in narrative. And we're tempted to take shortcuts in our stories in order to just have like Hollywood feel good stories as much as possible. But the suffering in the world and uh, the pain that we experience require us to take hard looks at the stories that we're hearing and to say, is there true redemption? Is there true forgiveness? Is there a, the ability to deal with the problem of evil? Is there uh, the ability to deal with our lack of knowledge and with all of our struggles and with all of our failures? And is there a, an ability for human relationship and flourishing to actually exist over time, intergenerationally in this story and so on and so forth? How good is the story? And so for pastors who are, who are walking with people, I just want to remind you, you have the greatest story ever told. You have it. It's you are a part of it. You've been invited into it. And as DJ saying, we we're, we get to be a part of it. We get to live it, and we get to tell it. And that story, we're told, man, it's the gospel. It's the good news. It is the power of God unto salvation. And and that says to the Jew and to the Greek. Right. So in, no matter what your storyline is, your narrative, whatever your cultural frame is, the gospel of Jesus Christ can make sense of all other stories. And that's what we have ourselves and the people we're walking with are integrated complexes, spirit, soul, and body. And the greatest gift that we've been given in that story is that we have communion with God. We are not just working with people's intellect to help them sort through their theology and their doctrine. We have the power of a community of prayer who can come alongside and love people and pray for people and expect that we are not just dealing with 
thoughts about doctrines. We are dealing with spiritual forces in heavenly places, and we have been given authority by God to work in that realm. And so, Pastor, pray. Get your people to pray. And, and for when you're discouraged, ask people to pray for you. Ask, ask that the gospel would be real for you today in your own heart. And then ask your community to be in prayer for one another so that the gospel would be alive and well among us, not only in a way that we can continue to tell the story and that God would touch the hearts of those who are struggling to see the story, but also that we together would embody the story in a way that just blows the minds of those around as they watch a community that holds the story. That's gospel. And that's God when he's at work through his spirit in and among his people in a way that tells the greatest story of all a people's lives transformed by the resurrection of jesus christ and his presence in our lives we love the fact that we have the invitation from god to to go after this together so dj it's been a real privilege to have you with us today really appreciate the fact that you've jumped into this conversation with it's an ongoing one for us for you and i and for justin and i but can you just now pray us out and pray for those who uh might need uh some some support spiritual support uh, heavenly father we are coming before you as uh, three uh, men who love you and are so grateful to be in the story and uh, we desperately want the people we love in our community to also uh, continue to believe and remain in that story. And also just confessionally, like this is a, pastoring is hard and, and pastoring folks and loved ones through deconstruction is really, really difficult. And we don't have the tools in and of ourselves to do it well. Um, we need you. Like you are our only hope. You are the only hope. You are the God of salvation. You're the God of the cosmos. You're the, the creator of heaven and earth, the Lord of heaven's armies, the maker of it all, the alpha and the omega. And if we're relying on our own intellect, our own arguments, our own ability to tell that story, like our, our own gifts, we're just going to fall flat on our face over and over again, like we have time and time again. And so my prayer uh, just in this has increasingly become uh, Jesus, have mercy. Uh, Jesus, reveal yourself and work through us, work through me, work through my brothers and sisters, um, work through my family, uh, work through your church who's so broken, your bride, you know this guy's so broken, so filled with hypocrisy. We just desperately need you, God. So uh, for those who are struggling with deconstruction, listening to this, struggling with doubt, for those who are pastoring through it, may the peace of Christ Above all, it says in Colossians 3, above all, put on love, which guards your hearts and minds in Christ. And may the peace of Christ uh, be the guardrail for you. And uh, just ask in Jesus' name that we would be a people equipped by the Spirit of God and equipped in community to walk the path that you have for us to continually point back to our risen, reigning Messiah. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Don't let those who hold in you be disgraced because of what I do. Lord of hosts, answer them in their plea. Save me, God. Lord, would you?
Please, please save me, God, save me, God. 